Hey guys, welcome to the Quest for Purpose and Passion podcast. I'm your host, Orion Brudico, and today we've got a special guest. His name is Michael Chapman. He's coming from New Hampshire, and he's going to talk to us about his purpose and passion living as a consultant. Is that that's what you do, right, Michael? Mm, coaching consultant, yes. Coaching do consultant. A, do, a good, do a good bit of strategy as well. Everybody needs a little strategy in their lives. I would say so, yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, I want to apologize. We're on uh, this app called Anchor, which is a way that everyone can make a podcast low budget. And uh, so <clears throat> sometimes the calls drop if you're not in a good spot. So everyone out there making podcasts on Anchor, you got to be in a good spot. One bar doesn't cut it. <laughs> All right, so uh, here we go. We're going to go right into it. Michael, um, how did you find your purpose, so to speak, your purpose and your mission, and how did you fall into that? Yeah, so my purpose has been clear since my youth, which has been to multiply whatever I've been given, whether it be intangibles or tangibles, but in terms of the current space in which I work in, I didn't really understand that until December of last year. So... uh, where were you working? What was going on in your life? And what, how did it become clear to you? Was it like a light bulb just went off and it was like an aha moment? Or was it um, more of a slow burn? Yeah, uh, it's probably a slow burn at the end of uh, you know, several different you know, professional roles and a couple of tough relationships. I came to the realization through a... Um, really an unlikely <laughs> uh, conduit who was who a person who just asked me the question, you know, where do you want to spend the rest of your days professionally? Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. A tough so, question. It was a tough question. That is a tough question. I was talking with somebody yesterday and they, they, we were talking about, you know, how do you find purpose and, because that's something that we're all trying to we're all trying to discover, right? What the meaning of our life is and what is our calling. Uh, some people are trying to discover that. Other people are, don't really want to know the answer. So, um, and he was saying that a good way to look at that is to think about how you know if you were to think about writing your eulogy, <laughs> and that's what made me think about that when you just said that. Um, so what, is, yeah, what, what is, yeah, what, what, I, yeah, what I'll do with a client is really, I mean, the eulogy is so, I think it's pretty effective, but it's probably too, um, grand or borderline ominous to, to go to the end and work backwards. What I try to do is say, Hey, let's look at five or 10 years down the road and get really clear about what you want that to look like in realistic terms and then work backwards. And when the work backwards approach is all about empowering somebody to make great agreements with their heart and their life. And what I mean by that is, let's say, you know, you've got someone who grew up in a very tough home, broken home, and they, they learned self-hate, you know, to hate themselves early in life because no one really showed them love. You know, they've made agreements. They they've have conditioned themselves to operate from that position. And so what I do is I ask the tough questions. It sounds simple. It's, it's really not. But ask the tough questions 
to sort of <clears throat> reprogram at the heart level because I genuinely believe we lead from the heart. Agreed. We lead, you know, we lead from the heart. And when the heart is bent with junk and hate and all kinds of stuff that happens to all of us on some level, then there goes the leadership or, or the life or the purpose. I, we, I, it, social justice team, we lead with service. And that's how we sort of find that heart uh, wholeness that you're talking about. And the yes. service, uh, like this unconditional service of serving another, uh, just serving another, unconditionally serving another. How can I help you? Just starts with that. Sure, sure. Uh, so how how do you how do you coach people? All how do you coach people to get to that heart wholeness? Well, like I said, I mean, I think a lot of times people have the answer. You know, when I was deal when I was in professional sales and professional sales leadership, what I found with clients is that, you know, people usually know. You don't have to spend a lot of time telling people what they need to do. People most people know what they should and shouldn't be doing. The challenge is they've they've bought into this attitude or this mentality of 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 following their heart. And what I've learned from my life is is I'm I can be very fickle. I can be my heart. I mean, you know, because follow your heart is really tied to feelings and what I feel in the moment or the season. Mm. And so, you know, you peel that back. The coaching approach is to help people realize just how much they, you know, been led by that versus leading it. And so, you know, it's just about great questions, very, very deliberate listening, intentional listening, and then trying to hear, at least from my perspective, you know, the, the erroneous agreement. So, so an example of an erroneous agreement would be like, you know, my husband left me because he said I was fill in the blank. Yeah, well, you could, exactly. And so that turns into, well, tell me, tell, you know, first thing to, to, to do there or among other things is to say, well, is it true? I mean, the sooner you can get somebody to understand the, the good information or bad information they have at the heart level, the sooner you get breakthrough. Mm. That's the, uh, I hear you. I hear you there. So if it's true that, if it's true, so that, if it's true, you yeah, know, say if it's true, if it's true, yeah, if it's true, then it's, you know, and let's say the person is, let me reverse it. So it's me, right? Let's say I say, you know, my wife left me because I was selfish. Well, if it's true, the sooner I can get to owning that, at least if I'm the only one available to make amends to what I did or didn't do in the marriage, that's important. At the same time, how the other question is, how long has that, 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 been true. um, been true and yeah that condemning sort of you're a selfish person you're a selfish well sure i was selfish but the question becomes do i want to stay selfish and if i want to stay selfish then then i'm not going to do anything to rewrite a different message at the heart level it's all coming from the heart if it's not true then you know especially in the context of a divorce then it's important to understand what i did and separate it from what they did. Because 
typically it takes two to blow up a marriage, right? Typically. Right. Um, so that's, that's where, that's the space that I operate depending on what the challenge is. So it sounds like there's two messages. So there's the message of the partner saying this to the other partner. And then there's the one partner saying the message to themselves. Is that, is that, yeah, exactly. Here, yeah. Here's a, here's another, here's another example. My boss is toxic. Well, what do you mean? Well, you know, he, he manages everything by email and he rarely spends, you know, any time telling me about my performance. Tell me, that's great. Tell me why that's toxic. We just stay in that Q and A and Q and A and Q and A where sometimes, you know, the, the answer to that question, what eventually comes out is their boss may not be toxic, but their experience, he right. just their may, experience of it is. He, he, yeah. Yeah. He may not be a great leader. And then you get into, well, well, tell me how you respond to your boss. Well, sometimes I don't answer the email. That's interesting. That sounds like you have an authority issue or there may be some toxicity that <laughs> some passive aggressive, <laughs> you know, issues there. So, you know, it's like who's really toxic? You know, it's very easy to point a finger and we all do it. Mm. And so it's just, you know, the coaching approach is is really about answering great questions or trying to ask good questions. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. So, when did you start coaching? Well, that's interesting. In this context, uh, February, but of this year. But I, I've been doing it. I mean, I've been doing it for two decades, in and out of you know uh, diff- different roles and in different industries and leadership roles. So, I've been doing it. You know, asking great questions and helping position people, professionals, in front of the mirror and really helping them understand what is and isn't in their control is what I've been doing for, for two decades in the corporate, more corporate structure. It sounds like. Correct. Cause that's, I mean, as a social worker, which is what I do now professionally, which I used to be something else. Right. But now I'm a social worker. That's sort of what we do. Similar to what you do. We use techniques, interview, interviewing techniques to discuss, you know, how one can interpret different situations, right? Sort of like what you're talking about. How it can be tied exactly. to something other than what they're interpreting the, the whole situation as. Correct. Like a psychologist or a, or a therapist, a coach. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I mean, you know, a great one, a great one, because I've, I've, you know, I've, I've done my, my own fair share of therapy. Um, a great one's going to really help you you know, see yourself. Well, it sounds like you're a, a coach, uh, you know, <laughs> a good friend of mine. She's a, a licensed clinical social worker. And we were talking about, you know, therapy because I've been in therapy my whole life. And it's when I think about what therapy is, it's really about gaining an awareness about your behaviors, you know, and it's about your life. You know what? That's what I think it is. And I don't know about what you think it is or, you know, and I don't know about this whole coaching thing. It seems like a new new age thing about people building this coaching business. So maybe you can tell me about that because I'm learning more about this coaching thing and I'm coming from more of a therapeutic background. So I'm trying to, I don't think they're the same at all. I think they're similar, you know? Um, but when I think about 
my purpose, sort of like we're talking about your purpose and your mission. And my purpose and my mission is to provide free, free therapy, free counseling, maybe free coaching, you know, to as many people as possible and not charge for it. Right. Because I think that the more people that know about themselves and about their behaviors, the more success can be found. Right. And the more, more basically. Right. So that's what I want to offer. So that's what I think my mission is. And it sounds like your mission is very similar. Only you're doing it with coaching as a vehicle. Yeah. So the, the first, the first question you asked was about, or comment about self-awareness. Let me address that. I was, um, I grew up very, very self-aware. Like I could see the impact I was having on whatever, whatever relationships, whether it's professional or personal, the challenge with self-awareness or or high degrees of self-awareness is it oftentimes is mistaken for, you know, self-actualization or really turning that into action. And so uh, what I've seen in my own life and with really self-aware people is oftentimes, especially if there's a bit of brokenness early on in life, they learn to make excuses. It's like, you know, I can see my problems. You know, I, you know, at least I can see it. A lot of people can't see it. Right. And so I, you know, but, but an excuse is an excuse, you know, so where I struggled was to make excuses hidden behind the self-awareness. And so, yeah, self-aware people or non-self-aware people, the still challenges, what do you do once you have the information? What, what happens when you become aware? What are you going to do with it? What are the steps forward? That's where a coach helps or a therapist. Okay. It's helping people move at the speed in action. Let's say we're talking about like an addiction. Let's go, let's go to the clinical side of the narrative. Mm. You know, if, if people could just stop, they would just stop. <laughs> it's true. If they could, I yeah, mean, if they could, they, there, there is deception at the root level probably shrouded in some type of wounding that has them believing that they can't or that they won't. So an excellent therapist, I would say, or or a 12-step program or whatever, the support surrounded, which at the end of the day, whether a person has acronyms because of a degreed status in, in clinical psychology, you know, whatever they have, at the end of the day, it is still human to human contact. That is helping another person break through and break free. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's all it takes for anyone to break through anything. I mean, you remember those people like, you remember like your friends in high school that were like, hey, I'm going to, you know, they, they'd be excellent. Like, like, let's talk about 10th grade, like ninth and 10th grade. These friends, and I was probably one of them, like this great listener. Mm. And, you know, somebody's like, oh God, you're such a great listener. And then all of a sudden, you know. You know, the next time you're in the lunch, you're like, you know, I think I'm going to grow up and be a psychologist. <laughs> because you were just like helping these people. Right, kind of right, thing. right. I remember those years. I mean, I'm not saying that somebody in the 10th grade is prepared to help somebody break free of a cocaine addiction. What I am saying <laughs> is, is that there are certain people that are predisposed to serve and are not afraid of people's problems. And whether it's coach, therapist, you know, 
clinical psychologist, whatever it is, I think the, uh, the common denominator is a need or a desire to serve people. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. It's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. Because it takes, it takes, a. it's human connection. You're right. You're absolutely right. But anyone can do that, whether they're a coach or a therapist or even a 10th grader. You're absolutely right. You believe that. I, you believe I that. do believe that 100%. I even think an animal can provide that, like a, a dog. Uh, you see that a lot with therapy dogs, you know. I think it really takes a, a, a sense of willingness to be vulnerable for a human to, be, to access a place where they feel a con- they want to be connected. So I think that more than a therapist, more than, a, you know, anyone can, anyone can make, have a breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the point. I think, I think there's a lot of, um, my biggest challenge with, with the whole coaching thing was it, was, it was like, I was looking at it from a distance and really cynical. And I was having this sort of argument with myself and it was, it's sounding kind of like, I mean, does this world really need another coach? <laughs> like, like this air, I'm serious, this arrogant, condemning, self-hating statement. And I'm like, hold on a second. I've been doing this, not with, not in the context that you, that we understand it, but I've been, I mean, what does a good leader do? I mean, I can't live the life of my professional sales reps or my service professionals. I can't go do their job. And the minute I do start doing their job, there's either something wrong with them or there's something wrong with me. I mean, a great leader is going to spend time <laughs> finding the right people and helping them be their best. How is that any different than coaching? Like it, whether it be on a football field or in life. So I, I sort of broke through that. And so wow, I've been doing it all this time anyway. <clears throat> yeah. I think those cynical statements are the death of us. You know, I've been the death of me for many, many years. They stopped me from, producing uh, reaching my full potential you know self-doubt it's the quiet ones yeah self-doubt is a real oh you know it's the quiet ones it's the unsaid ones and that's really where my breakthrough started to come about about three four years ago when i started to really really write and i began to write about the hate Mm. like like you would look at like you would look at a journal entry if you read it, you'd say this person <laughs> needs help. And there's a lot of hate. And as I wrote about the hate and I had, a, I had, in all fairness to me, I had legitimate reasons to hate on paper. But as I wrote about the hate and wrote about the hate, it became difficult to continue to write about the hate. Because I realized that was just an infection. That I didn't really hate. That I had more love in my heart than hate. But it was the writing that was the conduit, or I should say the, the catalyst into realizing, you know, I had a whole lot more love in my heart than hate. Hmm. Journaling, writing, is that what you were talking about? Any kind of way, anything you can do. It, it's just, this is what I use with clients. Anything you can do to get the words that you're going to say to somebody, hurt, the hurtful words you're going to say to somebody and blow up relationships and get fired from jobs and run kids out of the house, whatever it is, any way you can get those same words to stare you back in the face, do it. 
I don't care if it's on a napkin. Uh, you know, for me, it was an iPhone notepad. Oftentimes when I would travel, cause I'm not, I don't enjoy taking a pen to paper. I'm not a, I'm not a very good writer <laughs> when it comes to something you could actually read. Um, although I think as a sidebar, I think, uh, I think my writing or my expression on paper would improve if I would commit myself to like relearning how to do a cursive, you know, a, <laughs> I think I, I think it would drive a new discipline, a new level of uh, writing. I don't know. But my point is, if you're going to say it in a hurtful way, if there's a propensity, if you have a history of saying it and hurting people, why don't you say it to a piece of paper and let yourself see it? Mm. And, and I'll be honest, it's, Ryan, it's not like, you know, I was cured. It's a slow process when you've seen years of hurtful words and you've been part of on the receiving end and been, you know, the, the, you know, the let, you know, levied hurtful words towards people. It, it takes time. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit further, further along in age. And so it took a while to get here. It takes a while to unplug that. And really it's like onion layers. The more you sort of rewrite on your heart, sort of what I would call love notes. Once you get done with the hate notes, they, they really do evolve to love notes. You, your heart does change. Well, I, I, had, I did harbor hate in my heart for many years. And I developed a drug addiction because of that. <laughs> and I, you could call it justifiable hatred, you know? And... Um, I had to get sober because because of it. I couldn't I couldn't live my life that way. And I did the I went through um you know 12 step programs and I had to find forgiveness. My friend told me he said you have to forgive that those people. And I said you're crazy. I don't there's no way I'm going to forgive. I I was but he said you have to forgive in order to find peace. And uh and I, I didn't understand it at the time, but now I understand it. You know, now after I've been able to forgive, I understand. And uh, but I did have to write those letters. I had to write them to myself. You know, I had to write love letters to myself. I had to write uh, lots of lots and lots and lots of pages, in um, kind of uh, like what you're saying. All that anger, all that pain, all that sadness. I had to write it all down and get it out of me, you know, because it was stuck in there. And uh, and so you're right. It does work when you write, put it on paper. I did take pen to paper, which I hate doing. But I put pencil to paper and I wrote it all out. And I wrote like over 300 pages. And it really helped. And it got it all out. And it like, once I got it all out, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I felt like I was carrying that load around with me my whole life. So I want to say that you're right. It does work. And for all our listeners out there, it does work. Um, and it's a muscle. Forgiveness. Let's say, let's use the word like, you know, you're writing to forgive. You're writing to purge the self-hate. You're writing to purge the trash. Okay. Let's just sum all that up into uh, forgiveness. Forgiveness it's not a one-time thing. You know, I, did, I had no idea 
and I've shared this, you know, publicly, but I had no idea when I got to my forties, when my, you know, second marriage began to fail, I had no idea that I was still hurt by my father. Now I had, I had forgiven him when I was like 23, 24. I did it the old, the only way I knew how he's, you know, he was, he was gone and, and sort of never coming back, sort of got caught up with alcoholism. It took him, it took him down for the better part of like all of his life. But I, I sat down, I sat an empty chair down in my twenties, early twenties. But I think I put a teddy bear in the chair and I was like, you know, I forgive you. And I had this conversation. I thought, I mean, I thought I was done. And I didn't realize that I that, that it's a muscle that has to be worked and exercised. And I'm going to tell you how I understood that. I'm I'm in the I'm in the marriage therapy. Hmm. And the therapist in private said to me, "Have you ever gone back and grieved the loss of your father?" And I was like, "Well, I don't know what you're talking about, but I <laughs> I forgave him when I was 20." She said, "That's not what I asked you. Have you ever grieved it?" And what she meant by that was taking time intentional time and listing the losses. Now, in my case, there were no losses. That, it wasn't like I had a father that didn't. I never gone the day I was born. And then, you know, my mother divorced him when he was 11, but he was never, he never invested on anything I can remember because he was always, you know, sort of inebriated. And so what she was trying to get me to do was take the time to be intentional and write down like, and I did this, like I spent time writing down, like I lost, you know, when I lost my father, I lost someone to give me advice on how to be a good man, mm. how to select a mate, how to, you know, you know, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. He never made tennis matches. I mean, I'm going down the list of things and I, and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote things that never even happened but they were all losses. And she was like, you need to do that with God. Because oftentimes, whether it's a faith base or not, we, we sort of, whether you're, whether you're faith based or not is, is less relevant to this point than, than the relevance of normally speaking, what's fueling, you know, the, the harboring or nurturing of those grievances is blame. We are blaming somebody. Right. And for, and for me, I was blaming my creator. And so it, I think I was 41 at 41 years old, I wrote this huge list of losses that in, in every case they were fictional, but they were all things really that I would have wanted from my father or that I could have thought of. Mm. That was critical. Mm. It was very, and I cried my eyes out and I dealt with it during a, yeah, I dealt with that during a separation. But it, it exposed deception that I had at the heart level around who I was as a man, who my father was and wasn't, and just how much, I, how, how a very distant, I should say, a very distinct line there was between who he wasn't and who he was and how I was blaming him and, and the excuses I was making in, in my life, my personal life. It's profound. Sounds like some great work. It sucked, to be honest with you. <laughs> it but sucked, how, man. How did it feel after? Well, you know, like anything, you know, and I grew up in the 80s. I grew up in a world where, you know, you wanted instant gratification. It's not like I felt better. But I was, I was clear. 
you know, I was clear. And what I mean by that is there is when you clean out the junk, there is a direct there is a direct relationship between purity and clarity. Well, so it's like that's it, worth that was worth it. it sounds like it was worth it then because if you were if you were if it was different like when you were it sounds like you were going through your separation and your your heart and your mind were all you know mixed up and then you went through this process and then you came out and you were clear it sounds like it was worth it like in a whole bunch of ways yes like you were purged like we were talking before we were talking about before you were purged like what an amazing experience it sounds like you get you you grew closer to creator as well yeah it was it was painful but now it was became say what do i now the journey became what do i replace that with hmm Because and, and new behavior, yeah, new mm-hmm. behavior. How does okay? I got new understanding. The epiphany's there. That's great. Eureka moment, whatever you want to call it. But that doesn't just that doesn't turn into new and you know overnight relationship behaviors. That's not the way it works. But that at I, least I, makes it whereas you're learning how to in, in a more functional way. Uh-huh. There's a more fertile ground there because you've stopped. The deception of, you know, how did I get here? And my father wasn't there and I'm blaming him and all this kind of nonsense. But you got to a new level of your awareness, it sounds like. Yeah. And you yeah. were like, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to do those same behaviors. I don't want to be thinking in those thoughts. How do I live a new life? You like reached a new level. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it wasn't, it's not about, it doesn't seem like it was about a replacement phase. You were in like a, you were like rewriting yourself. You were like rewriting your life almost. Sounds like. Correct. Excellent. Excellent. So I don't want to take too much of your day today, Mr. Chabin, but it sounds like your purpose is awesome. And you're, uh, I'm jealous of your life how do people get in touch i can help you with that as a as a coach i can help you with that <laughs> jealousy's a killer man. i'll help you out <laughs> i'm just kidding Go ahead. <laughs> no i mean i'm jealous of your life in a good way and um yeah i'm so happy we connected on linkedin and um if you're not on linkedin you should get on linkedin there's so much content out there get, getting created um positivity definitely and um you know ever since i've been sober i've been sober now still sober today since that time and i've been cleared out my life and it's always it's all been about positivity and uh i've gone closer to my creator sort of rewriting my story similar to you and uh and it's so exciting because i've never been here before similar to you i'm sure like we've never like i've never been this old right i've never been in this place it's like we're rediscovering our lives trying to make it better constantly right and um i love how you say you're 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 serving you're serving others and where this human connection is central central 
in our purpose. Um, so how can people find you if they want to get a hold of you or learn more about what you do or schedule time to dis- discuss how they can find or, you know, if they need help, you know, purging their self, <laughs> how can they reach out to you for a coaching session or get your advice or how, how do people find you? Yeah, there's two fundamental ways. I have a Facebook business page at Business Minister. At, actually, it's at Biz, B-I-Z, Minister. All right. So B-I-Z, Minister. And then, obviously, on my LinkedIn profile right there in the headline, there's a, there's a Calendly link that you have to copy and paste, but uh, that'll schedule time. And it's just Michael Chapman. It's Michael David Chapman on LinkedIn, right? I think I'm the only Michael David Chapman on LinkedIn. Correct. Michael David Chapman. I think I'm the only one that uses all right, there you have it, Michael David Chapman from New Hampshire. Actually, Michael David Chapman from Georgia, who's lost oh. in New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> from Georgia, all right. From uh, Georgia. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate your time, and I'm sorry that we had a little trouble at the beginning there with the, with the app, but no, that's um, fine. I really appreciate it. Yeah, your time thanks for today. having me. I, I, get, I, I enjoy sharing. I think uh, that's really what I leave people with is, listen, we're not taking any, we know we're not taking any tangibles with us, but it's a shame if we don't use our intangibles or what we've learned to give back. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, I'm so glad we connected and uh, I'll talk soon. Talk soon, Orion. Have a good day, buddy. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye.